At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard, another day closer to college football. How about that? We got Alabama coming in this weekend. A lot of people think, hey, the tide's vulnerable. You know, I submit to you they're not as good as maybe they have been. They're still an elite football team. Make no mistake about it. If you watch that A&M game, you saw one thing for sure. Alabama won't quit on you. They absolutely won't. A lot of pride in that program. Nick Saban would demand nothing less from them than their best efforts. But, uh, hey, this is a team, too, that I think it, we can compete with. I, re- I really do. I'll be surprised if it is lopsided. I, g- I guess I can't really honestly say that. Because Alabama, listen, Alabama is the kind of team, if you make mistakes, they make you pay for it. So if we go out there and we don't have good ball security and we're willy-nilly with the football, yeah, we're going to get beat. Yeah, I mean, you can go ahead and write that down. And I think it, it kind of goes without saying, right? You can't give a team that's more talented at you as you in, in all positions, in most positions anyway. You can't give them breaks. You can't give them opportunities. So, yeah, we're going to break it down Alabama today. We're going to talk about a lot of that stuff. Looking forward to you guys being here. It'll be a 6 p.m. kickoff on ESPN. Chance for us to do some things. You know, Chance for us to kind of make a statement that we're on the incline. I know a lot of people are already assuming a loss, and I'll be honest with you, as of Wednesday, I still expect Alabama to win this football game. But I don't think that Mississippi State is going to go down there and lay down by any stretch. I think we'll go out there and compete. I think we are a much better team than we were a year ago. And I don't know that they're, they're as good as they were a year ago. You know, last year they kind of schemed us up a little bit, had Devontae Smith uh, kind of out there on some switch routes, got him paired up with a safety that's just a mismatch. They're going to win 99 times out of 100, right? And they did. Devontae Smith had a huge game against us last year. Mac Jones, really good player. I thought we did some things early to kind of confuse them, but once they kind of got going and got a little separation, I think there was a little quit in us. So, so let's, uh, let's kind of move forward with that. I want to address a couple things, and um, I know many of you maybe are, are tuning in to, to hear some of these comments about uh, you know, some of the things that have transpired within our network. 
And I just want to say this. I, I take no glee in other people's misfortune. And uh, my support, my undying support, is with David Johnson. I, I wish everybody else the absolute best. Hope they find uh, some success in life. But the overwhelming uh, majority of you know, my thoughts on this uh, relate to Dave Johnson. Dave Johnson is my friend. Dave Johnson, a guy that uh, has overcome a lot. You know, Dave used to be the, uh, the, the main publisher of the 247 Ole Miss site. And so you know, here's the thing, too, I think it's important for people to understand. So a shakeup in our network, especially with a rival school, is not good for our business on our side, on the jeans paid side. Because you know, how many clicks do you think that we get, you know, from rival fans? I mean, it's just like you guys. I mean, it's like many of you, you know, don't like Ansi Porter, but, you know, you're always interested in what he had to say. Because if Yancey said, hey, this kid's going to go to Mississippi State, it was kind of like confirmation of maybe what me and Paul were saying. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's not a great thing for us in that respect, you know, because, you know, we've got to make up those clicks somehow. We've got to make up those views somehow. And I know Dave Johnson will do a great job. Uh, Dave's a guy I really like and I uh, have always liked him. And I'll share some things with you, too, about Dave. One of the, you know, a couple of reasons that I like him is, you know, when Dave was with 247 and I was with Scout, you know, Eli Johnson was becoming a prospect. And I really, really like Eli Johnson, really do. And so Dave reached out, didn't really know me that well, just kind of reached out and said, hey, listen, you know, I don't want things to be weird you know, because, uh, you know, Yancey and I are on competing networks, but, you know, I want my kid to be you know, represented over there. Would you mind interviewing Eli from time to time when he gets new offers? I'm like, man, Dave, I'm happy to help. Because at the end of the day, there's a young man out there with a dream, right? I mean, it's like, you know, why, why should he not get the coverage that he deserved? And, of course, Mississippi State, I believe, was his first offer. I never thought we'd get it. I mean, we're not going to get a kid named Eli from Oxford, right? But that kind of brokered a friendship between Dave and I. And then, you know, he would kind of touch base, and he goes, you know, man, Steve, I really appreciate what you did. And uh, I didn't do it for any other reason than the fact that it was a young man with a dream. And, of course, things worked out okay. You know, they really did. And, uh, you know, a kid named Eli from Oxford's going to Ole Miss, right? And, listen, I think that is a great thing. When, when young people get a chance to play for their childhood favorite teams, that is incredible. And then for Dave – to be able to watch that. You know, Dave's an Ole Miss guy, and it's kind of unabashed about it. But to see his kid put on his school's colors and be able to go out there on the field to play and play, it's a great thing. I mean, it really is. And, of course, Eli left and uh, transferred. I think he's out there at New Mexico or New Mexico State now. And so that was kind of uncomfortable, you know, for some people because you got to do what's best for your kid, you know. And so Eli felt it was best to leave the program. A lot of people were kind of critical of Dave. And I, I kind of get that, too. You know, I know it all comes from a good place. But uh, I hated to see Dave go through that. But, um, you know, reached out to him. I said, hey, man, it'll be okay. You know, it'll be okay. You know, because, again, Dave Johnson's my friend. And so when things got crazy with me, like when I'm writing Flim Flam and all that sort of stuff, you know, every once in a while, Dave would, would, would text me and say, you know what, hey, hey Steve, I just want you to know I'm praying for you, man. I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. We may not agree on this issue, but but I'm praying for you. I mean, you know, he's a good guy. He is. So we got to Nashville last year for a uh, 247 Sports Publishers Convention. And I sat next to Dave. As a matter of fact, the, the day we got there, you know, there's like there's a little pub there and uh, everybody's kind of gathering up and just, you know, a little watering hole for everybody to kind of kick back, let their hair down a little bit. And and then and Dave calls me over, and me and Mike Nemeth go, and we sit with Dave. And Dave's been there for a couple of days, obviously, with his family. 
decided to kind of make it a family trip. So they, they spent the weekend in Nashville and went out to Broadway and everything else, had a good time. And uh, so basically sat by Dave for the better part of three days. And then uh, by the time we get to dinner the second night, Dave's just so sick, man. He, uh, he couldn't come to dinner. The next thing I know, I find out Dave's in ICU in Oxford. And then people are reaching out and saying, hey, you know, Dave's got COVID. Well, at the time, if I'm not mistaken, there were four diagnosed cases of COVID in Nashville when we went. And there were a lot of people in hindsight that said, well, why did David go? Well, we didn't know anything then. You know, we didn't know. It was all so brand new to us. We didn't know. And so I sat there and I shared, you know, air with Dave for the better part of three days. And and you get to con- you're really concerned, you know. It's like, you know, you start, you worry about your friend, but you think, man, is, is that going to be me? Am I going to be in ICU in a couple days? And, of course, nothing happens. And uh, then all of your concern, of course, is with David, who had just an unbelievably courageous fight and survived all this. And so Dave Johnson's a winner, man. And so I'm not going to get on here and bash anybody else. not going to do that. Uh, I just say that I support the decisions. I support Dave Johnson. I know Dave is going to kill it. I know he'll do a great job. And, uh, you know, I've reached out to him a couple times already to offer my support to him. And, you know, it's, you know, it's a very unusual circumstance he's trying to navigate through. But I know that Dave is up for the challenge. I mean, look, goodness. You know, Dave, in many respects, is a guy that, uh, you know, has kind of stared down death, man, and, and, and came through it. And so I'm sure in his mind this, you know, this, this seems like small potatoes considering the things that Dave Johnson's already overcome in his life. And so – uh, again, I, I'm an Eli Johnson fan. Wish him the best. I'm a Dave Johnson fan. And, again, it's good for us. We, you know, we want our Ole Miss site on our network to be the market leader. That's what we want. I want it to for all of our, our network sites. I've got a lot of friends around this network, you know, and we do dominate many markets. But, uh, yeah, I, I want to see Dave be successful. And I hope that you guys do as well. And so – I've thought a lot about what I wanted to say today because I know a lot of people are expecting certain things from me. And, and again, you know, I just, I, you know, some people would say at times I'm a petty and vindictive person, and there's probably some people close to me that would agree with that. But, uh, but the reality of it is is that, you know, we're moving forward. And, uh, again, I think Dave Johnson will do a great job. And if there's anything I can do to help Dave, you know, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that because I want Dave to be the guy. I want Dave to be the guy that kind of dominates the Ole Miss market, and that's a very competitive market. You know, we're kind of fortunate in our respect with the merger. We, we found a way to make it work, you know, and so we don't have a lot of competition out there. But, uh, you know, Dave does. And so, again, anything that I can do to support Dave Johnson, we're going to do that. And uh, my, my hope is is that uh, those of you that kind of keep up with the Rebels, uh, you know, maybe out of a little bit of a, you know, smug rivalry curiosity, you know, you'll click on Dave's content. You know, go over there and give him a read every now and again. You know, one of the things that uh, I've always thought that they did a really good job of is, like, the practice reports were a little different. You know, they're different than what we do. And uh, I always enjoy the detail and all that stuff, too. But, uh, again, wish the absolute best for everybody involved. Uh, but, uh, again, you know, my loyalty is to Dave Johnson and to our network partners. Speaking of great partners, Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show, man. Love them. Love everything about Bulldog Burger Company. It's not just a great place to eat. It's a great place to work. It's a great place for a guy's night or a girl's night out or maybe just a family evening of extra, extra special cuisine. 
Bulldog Burger Company has something for everybody on their menu. I Listen, I implore you to give the more exotic hamburgers a try. I know people say, hey, Steve, I love the Bulldog. You know, that's cool. It really is. And you know what? You can get through life just eating that Bulldog Burger and feel pretty good about life. It's a great restaurant-quality hamburger. But you know what? Why not spice it up a little bit? Maybe go with the Smokehouse or the Bryant or the Lauren or the Pimentology, but you got to add the bacon, right? You need that extra protein in your life anyway. Go check them out today. Three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and a brand new one. Lake Harbor Drive in the Flowood area. Go check them out today. Get that chocolate shake to go. And, of course, no Bulldog Burger meal is complete without ordering spring rolls. They make you and everybody around you better looking, and we all need more of that. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, big news out of Stark Vegas yesterday. Second-year Mississippi State women's basketball coach, Nikki McRae. I, I hate to call it a resignation, but that eventually is what it is. You know, there's sometimes a negative connotation with the term resignation. And so the release says that she's stepping down. And I guess that's in reality what it is. A lot of people would try to suggest, hey, there's got to be more to this story. Guys, there, there's, there really isn't. And uh, I've talked to some people initially that said, oh, yeah, there's – no, no, no. I've talked to people that would know. This is a very serious situation. Uh, Nikki McCray-Pinson, of course, was hired to succeed. Vic Schaefer had a very challenging year. There was a lot of optimism about the season, and there still is. But I've talked to some people close to Nikki that said, you know what, she was really excited about the year. Felt like that uh, she had a really good locker room. Of course, there were some defections last year. Sometimes you have a little addition by subtraction. But a lot of people that maybe are looking for another story here are going to be a little bit disappointed that's just you know it's just not going to be the case i think sometimes it's important to take things on face value there's so much of that because i i I am not necessarily a trusting person anyway you know so it's like when i hear things i always think okay so what's the real story here you know uh but again i have talked to enough people that would have direct knowledge of the situation that I, i i think I've got 100% confidence at this point that there is not more to this story. I want to read you the quote from Nikki McCray-Penson for those of you that maybe just read the headlines and didn't read the article. Over the past several weeks, I have been faced again with health concerns I had hoped were behind me. In light of these developments, I have decided to step away from coaching in order to devote my full time and energy to addressing these issues. Although I look forward to returning to coaching when I am able, I believe this is the best decision for me and my family at this time. I appreciate the support MSU has shown me, and I will be pulling for the team's success this season. John Cohen later quoted, We appreciate the time and effort Coach McCray-Penson invested in our program and respect her decision to focus on her health and family. Throughout her time as a player and as a coach, Nikki has shown herself to be a competitor. We fully support her as she takes some time away from the game to address her health concerns. Doug Novak, a, uh, an assistant coach that uh, has some head coaching experience, will lead your program. And I think it's important to kind of understand, too, you know, we've, we've had some upheaval at times, you know, with the staff. And that's not unheard of, you know, with a new staff. I mean, go back and look at what Dan Mullen's first staff looked like. Do you, do you remember that? Let, let's take a quick look at that just because you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, I mean, you know, Guardians assistant coaching issues. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of always the case when you get a new coach, especially, you know, a coach that comes in. And, and then, like in Nikki's situation, she had some coaches that um, 
that got promotions, you know, that, that kind of saw, you know, the ladder of advancement kind of open up for them. But here's the very first staff at Mississippi State. And a lot, most of these guys hung around for a while. But uh, Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen's first staff at Mississippi State. Of course, you had John Havisey, who stayed throughout. Mark Hudspeth, of course, was here, uh, you know, for a couple years and then took over as the head coach at Louisiana Lafayette. Lasted Austin P. Uh, he's coaching high school football now. Great guy. Tony Hughes, of course, has come and gone uh, a couple times. I guess the one time went to Jack State. Now he's back. Always glad to have Tony. Greg Knox. Greg Knox, a fascinating story. Greg Knox, I guess, has now coached in the SEC for what the better part of 20 years or longer and has worked for two different coaches. How crazy is that? He was with Tuberville at Ole Miss and then at Auburn. And then he was with Dan Mullen at Mississippi State and now at Florida. So he's had four different SEC stops. He's worked for the same two coaches. There may not be a more loyal lieutenant in the entire Southeastern Conference than one Greg Knox, who is also 1-0 as a head football coach at the Mississippi State University. Uh, Les Kenny, a great man, really liked Les a lot. You know, Les was around for a couple of years, eventually left. He had a daughter that was at the University of Alabama. Once she graduated, Les looked for some other opportunities. Last I heard, Les had left Kansas and was back in Texas. Maybe that's correct. I think it was South Alabama for a little while. You know, he's bounced around a little bit. Les a great man. Scott Salick, of course, uh, part of the Mullen Mafia, you know, came along and then eventually was replaced by D.J. Looney. Carl Torbush was your defensive coordinator. Lasted just the one year. And then Dave Turner, uh, who uh, I guess is in his third stint now with Dan Mullen. So there, there's always some, some shifting, you know. And so I don't necessarily think you can take a shot, you know, at um, the fact that we had to have some adjustments on the coaching staff after one year and probably needed to do that anyway, needed to be better recruiters. But uh, Doug Novak can take over. Doug has some experience as a head coach. You know, I think that's one of the things to kind of, you know, kind of understand here too. Uh, kind of looking at his bio here as we, we get ready to go here. Uh, he had 17 MIAC, or MIAC, all-conference honorees when he was at Bethel. That's where he was the head coach. Uh, even had the most valuable player once. Um, and so he won 65.8% of his games with a 131-68 and 68 record. Was in the playoffs seven consecutive years. They made it to semifinals of the tournament uh, three different times. Captured a share of a conference championship. And so, basically, is this. You've got a guy that has got some floor coaching experience that's going to take over, you know, for now. I do not expect this to be the long-term solution. Now, that's not to say that Novak couldn't go out there and put together a great year and kind of coach his way into – candidacy that that'd be a great situation right i mean if if doug novak goes out there and puts together a tournament team this year and they make a good run you know why would you not give him an opportunity to stay on and so he will lead the season uh, there will not be another coach hired between now and tip off and that's the first thing people think where we're going to find a coach at this point well we're not going to we're going to let doug handle the team this year and then there will be a national exhaustive search for a new coach throughout the year we don't have to be in any hurry right it's just october season ends in march so we've got some lead in time and that's that's the thing about this too the timing is bad for this season but the timing may ultimately be better for the coaching search in the end 
And some would say, well, you know, when we had basically the full season for baseball and, uh, you know, we chased Dan McDonald and some other guys out there. And we, maybe, did, maybe we didn't get who we wanted initially, but we got who we needed. And that's Chris Simonis, a guy that will probably never have to buy a beer the rest of his life. City of Starkville, legend. Got us a national championship. And so John Cohen has some time. He can be kind of deliberate with this. You don't have to rush and make a hire. That's another thing, too, is the fact that, you know, your job's out there. You know, there will be people that will express some interest over the course of the season. You know, right now people are getting ready to go play. So right now it's Doug Novak's charge to get this team ready to go. Uh, I continue to hear Jessica Carter is still not been reinstated. And so, you know, at this point, you know, we'll kind of continue to wait for that process to kind of move forward. Uh, she is still eligible from what I understand. She's still taking uh, – you know, classes, you can take a lot of online, online classes and sort of stuff. I understand she still protects her eligibility and hopes to return uh, to the team, and that'll be big too. So, But the bottom line is there has been this shocking development, and our immediate concern is with Nikki McCray-Pinson and then her family. That's the concern. A basketball season and a coaching position uh, is secondary to someone's health. And uh, I think about, you know, their young son, you know, that this, you know, this is a very serious situation. And so I've been very uh, pleased with the Mississippi State fans' reaction, by and large. They've been very supportive because, you know, listen, if you've had anybody in your family that, that has cancer in their background, you know, you understand you know, how sensitive and how serious a situation like this could be. You know, no matter what the health issues, you know, really are, once you've had to deal with that, I mean, number one, you've got some fight, but also, two, you've got some vulnerability. So we wish the best for Nikki McCray-Penson and her family. And uh, listen, whether she comes back and coaches again is really secondary to the rest of the story. It absolutely is. And appreciate her contributions and efforts to Mississippi State women's basketball. And now our, you know, our loyalty in many respects kind of shifts to uh, to Doug Novak. Not to say we don't care about Nikki, we absolutely do. But you know, we need Nick, we need Doug to go out there and put together a good season. Really do. And these fans need a good season. We've kind of grown accustomed to being good at women's basketball. And last year was a, a very difficult one to swallow. And then there was all this roster attrition. And you know, I'll be honest with you. And this is one of the things that I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate is that. Um, Nikki kind of inherited a tough locker room. I mean, she really did. I mean, inherited some relationships that weren't the best. And a lot of that's gone now, you know. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people that know Vic Schaefer a lot better than you and I do. And, you know, Vic, a veteran coach, you know, had to really kind of work hard to kind of hold those that locker room together his final year here. And, of course, we had a good year. But it's not like these issues – just kind of materialized once Nikki got here. You know, we were already dealing with some of that. And Vic, obviously a veteran coach, you know, probably a little better equipped to handle it because of the fact that he recruited those players, knew the families, knew who he could call when he was having trouble with a player if he needed to. You know, Nikki's kind of coming in blind. And, uh, you know, Nikki basically had to recruit a roster to stay. You know, and so it's like you go through all that stuff, you know, after the coaching change and, you know, you, you try to hold your recruiting class together, try to keep Rakia Jackson and others from hitting transfer portal, you know, so you can get on the floor. And it was a weird year. I mean, it really was. I mean, forget wins and losses. I mean, just, you know, the climate of which we had to work with was just very difficult and very challenging. 
And so I don't know if you can judge anybody fairly, you know, last year. You know, the ones that did really well, yeah, you can absolutely give them a thumbs up. You know, but the ones that kind of struggled, I mean, you kind of yeah, I kind of get it, you know. You know best of luck to you. And so women's basketball, a new era is here. I don't know if we get T-shirts printed, you know, for, you know, Novak's nasties or whatever. We're going to be in a student section. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm eager to kind of see how things unfold. But, uh, again, you know, wish the absolute best to uh, Nikki McCray Pinson and her family as Mississippi State women's basketball moves forward. And she begins to uh, take on some of these health concerns that she has. And she has absolutely made the right decision. Without your health, you have nothing. So, Nikki, uh, we love you, appreciate you, and support you in all of your future endeavors. All right, let's take a look at uh, today's top ten list. You guys like 90s rock radio, man. The numbers are great, 90s rock radio. And a lot of you guys may have been in college here in high school then. Some of my best friends, of course, were – you know, we're a big part of, uh, you know, kind of cultivating that scene in many respects in Mississippi. You know, it's like, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of rock radio in Mississippi. That's what makes satellite radio so great. So great. And Apple Music, all that good stuff. I can listen to whatever I want to just about whenever I want to. Wasn't like that. I remember being a kid when they announced that Z-Rock was opening up. Right? Remember that? We have three Z-Rock stations in the country. L.A., New York, and Jackson, Mississippi. What? That's so random. Yeah, but that's right. We had a Z-Rock station in Mississippi. It was very great. It was wonderful. Be able to hear real rock. There's a lot of the bands that I like kind of moving up that didn't have rock music videos. You know, maybe the record company didn't believe in them, and so you could hear kind of new rock. But good rock radio was great. Still is. Even though I don't listen to a lot of terrestrial radio. You know, it's, uh, it's good that there's some rock stations out there. So today's top ten list brought to you by Close with Blair. Blair is a bit of an Americana guy, I guess. I guess that's what you would call it. You know, he's not the rocker like I am. You know, he's a little, he's a little more delicate than me. But Blair is a guy that can get your lawn closed. One of the top 1% closers in the country. And coffee's for closers. Blair drinks a lot of it. A member of the Fairway Mortgage Group. You can visit him at closeofblair.com. He's telling me now's a great time to refi. You know, a lot of people maybe have had some mounting debt due to the COVID crisis. Maybe you, you missed some time. Maybe you got behind on some things. Maybe you depleted your savings. This gives you an opportunity to kind of reset things just a little bit. You can cash out. You can pay off some debt, lower your debt-to-income ratio, take advantage of some of these lower rates because in this challenging economy, rates are going to go up. You might as well get ready for that. Rather than wait till you have to do it, maybe do it when you want to do it. Maybe you're looking to buy a house. Maybe you're looking for a second mortgage. Blair can help every bit of that. And maybe maybe you're not ready to buy a house, but he can help get you ready. Visit him at closewithblair.com. That's closewithblair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we're going to save you some money. We're going to save you some money because Blair's going to going to pay for your appraisal if you just mentioned to him hey Blair I heard about you on the boneyard and many of you are thinking you know what hey Steve I, I don't know I don't know I don't know when's the best time to do it talk to Blair about that right he's an honest and ethical person he'll tell you hey listen maybe let's wait a couple months until you get this bill paid down maybe you get this maybe you can buy a house a lot of people are scared to ask, and you get your hopes up, right? You think, ah, oh, no, I don't really. No, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family. 
Give Blair a call today, 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. If you can't remember that, just remember closewithblair.com. Closewithblair.com. Today's top 10 list is the Gin Blossoms. How about that for you 90s rockers? You like you liked the Bush list? You like the Goo Goo Dolls? So now I'm giving you the Gin Blossoms. Now, there are a couple things I want to say about the Gin Blossoms. I, I have, I guess in some ways, kind of an emotional or spiritual connection to this band because of Doug Hopkins. Doug Hopkins was an addict. He was a flaming alcoholic. He was a guy that battled depression much of his life. And he was an absolute genius of a songwriter. And I'm speaking about him in past tense because he killed himself. It's a really, really sad situation. One of the best things I have ever read is this story called Jesus of Suburbia. You can Google it. When I read that, sometimes I think maybe I should go back and sell insurance or something. Maybe I should cut my hair and go get another job. Because the writing is so great, so emotional, it elicits all this emotion from me. I respond to it. And it's the Doug Hopkins story. And I understand now that they're actually uh, filming a documentary about it. I don't know if it's going to be like uh, you know a dramatized movie or just like you know the actual footage or whatever. But Doug Hopkins was the driving force behind the Jim Blossoms. Now, obviously, they had some success, but here's the thing. You know, you, it's like, oh, man, I remember that first Jim Blossoms album. I remember how great it was. And then, you know, they had one or two hits after that, but they could just kind of, you don't hear about them anymore. What's because Doug Hopkins is dead? Because Doug Hopkins was a primary songwriter, and he was a bit of a savant when it came to this stuff. He was a guy that could understood composition. He could play multiple instruments, and like he would get these ideas in his head. Like, like people would say, hey, we're going to go over to Doug's and have a couple drinks. And they would get there, and he would be just frenetically kind of working through something. Like his mind was working faster than his fingers could play. And he would think, oh, if we do this, if we do this, we add this. And they said that you know, they'd sit there and drink a couple cold beers, and then he would be just so into what he was doing, he couldn't stop. You know, he just was one of those kind of people that, this is how he processed his pain. This is what he did to kind of tell who he was. And so that second album, the first album, Dusted, was basically uh, kind of an independent release. And when they released New Miserable Experience, which is four times platinum, um, it's, uh, it's basically a lot of those songs that were kind of rough cut on the first album. So it's the first album, a lot of those tracks make it to the second album because they signed with A&M Records. All right, so here are my top 10 Jim Blossom songs. And most of them are from The Miserable Experience. Uh, number 10 is actually the song that got me into the Jim Blossoms. We talk about first favorites. This would be my first favorite Jim Blossom song is Hold Me Down. Hold Me Down. And it's it's basically just kind of going through life and you know, there's a party or whatever. And things are getting out of hand. And it's like, hey, when things are starting to get a little reckless and wild, you better hold me down. Because I'm the kind of person that's going to get involved in all that. Number nine, a really, really cool song. It's got a really cool vibe to it. Maybe it's because I lived some time in Louisiana, but it's called the Cajun Song. And it's basically, you know, another one of these rock radio great little love songs. And then they, they kind of add a little Cajun flair to it. You know, that's the cool thing about it. They add that accordion to it. And then down, down the bayou, they love this one. 
Number eight, As Long As It Matters. This is a song. I don't think Doug Hopkins had anything to do with this one. This one came a little bit later uh, in the catalog. Uh, but kind of in that same vein, it's missing some of the Doug-isms, but uh, it, it is kind of true to the Jim Blossom's original sound. Number six, a one uh, that had nothing to do with Doug Hopkins. Pretty cool track called, uh, I think I missed it. Number seven, let's go back a little bit. This is, uh, this is off the uh, second album, Congratulations, I'm Sorry. It's Follow You Down, number seven. You've heard that one, I'm sure. It was on the radio a lot. Anywhere you go, I'll follow you down. Number six, this is one a little bit deeper in the catalog. It's Miss Disarray. We've all, we all know her, right? We all do. Probably friends with her. Maybe married to her. Maybe used to be married to her. We all know Miss Disarray. Number five, back to the new miserable experience. It's Allison Road. One of my great friends tells me that when he heard the new miserable experience album, and this is one of the favorite songs on there, this one in 29, that it kind of pulled him back into modern rock. He's like, you know, I'd kind of been listening to all my older stuff, and then the new miserable experience kind of got me into new alternative radio. And uh, that's kind of the case with this band. They, they were a mainstream success, but they were at the end of the day, they were alternative rock in their, in their genesis. And the next thing you know, the genius of Doug Hopkins was known, and they were everywhere. Number four, very, very, very introspective and personal song, Until I Fall Away. That's number four on your list. Again, off that first album. And it's just one of those songs, too. I, I, the vocals are great, but lyrically, it's one of the best songs in the catalog. I think you'll dig that one. Number three, a song actually from the Empire Records soundtrack that kind of came in between album cycles. It did appear on Congratulations, I'm Sorry. Again, another big radio hit for them. And really, I guess the, the last big charting hit uh, for them that, that uh, Doug Hopkins didn't actually play on. And that's Till I Hear It From You. Till I Hear It From You. Okay, so and we're at the top two. Now, this, I know in many respects, some people are going to think, you know, Steve, you got the order wrong. And that's okay. You can have your own list. Your list would be wrong, but you're welcome to your list. And I know a lot of people say, you know what, Steve? If there is a, a quintessential Jim Blossom song, it's got to be Head Jealousy. But that's number two on my list. It's number two. I, I love it. And what's interesting, too, is because I was so fascinated with Doug Hopkins. And uh, maybe it's because I'm an addict, you know, and I'm in recovery and have been now for nearly 30 years. But a lot of this kind of happened, you know, when I was early in recovery. And I was totally obsessed. Like, how could this guy be so successful and living his dreams and everything going great for him? You know, how could he be so sad? I mean, how does that happen? You know, it, it kind of disenfranchises you a little bit, you know, because like when you're struggling and, you know, you're waiting tables or whatever and, you know, you're, you're a month-to-month guy, you're just trying to find a way to get the rent paid. And if that means you got to eat bacon, tomato sandwiches for two or three days, what you got to do. And that's where I was in life. I was happy. But that's where I was. But I knew that I was working towards something bigger and better. And you think, you know, here this guy is. It finally achieved his dream. And how is he so sad? You know, and it makes you kind of question life a little bit. It's like, man, if you work and work and work and you get your big break – and it still doesn't make you happy. And it tells me that, you know, happiness doesn't come from external things. I mean, happiness comes in small doses when it's reliant on other people, places, and things. You know, i got to be content with who I am, and that's what Doug Hopkins really struggled with, is Doug always thought he was a fraud, even though he was an absolute genius. He thought in his mind he was a fraud, and that's why he worked as hard as he did. And so when he wrote the song, Hey, Jealousy, it was actually about the sister of a bandmate that he had this huge crush on. And he had a chance with her one time, and he blew it. And so a lot of this stuff, you know, he lived. 
You know, it wasn't just, hey, this is catchy. Let's write lyrics to this. This is stuff that he lived. And so basically the New Miserable Experience, ironically enough, is basically an autobiography of Doug Hopkins' life. But number one for me is found out about you. Found out about you to me is is a classic 90s song. It's one of those songs even now when I hear that opening guitar, you know, he just kind of starts in. It's 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 by itself. It's just haunting to me. And maybe it's because Doug is gone, but also too, it's like you. At some point, we've all been through that. You know, I found out about you. You're not who I thought you were. You know, I loved you and I gave you my heart and. You know, it's like that part when he says, um, I write your name, drive past your house. Your boyfriend's over. I watch the light go out. You know, I mean, it's like, as sad as that is, how beautiful is that writing? I mean, it's like, how authentic is that? And that's what I think Dove Hopkins was great, is he was able to process his pain to the point that he could put it to song. Sadly, it didn't do enough to heal him. I don't want to be all sad today, but I want to celebrate Doug Hopkins' genius, and I want you to listen to some Jim Blossoms today. And, and I'll be honest with you, I have a difficult time listening to Jim Blossoms without Doug Hopkins. And so here's the thing that I want to tell you about Doug, a couple of things, just because maybe you don't know a lot about the Jim Blossoms. And, of course, Jim Blossoms, of course, are you know, a symptom of alcoholism, ironically enough. But Doug Hopkins was a self-saboteur. And so – they had this big record company showcase one time. There were going to be like two or three different bands, uh, two, two or three different labels there. They were playing for all these labels and execs. They're about to get signed. And Doug was always afraid of like, well, what, you know, if life changes, you know, how do I handle a change? And so they get out in all their gears in their van, they get ready to leave, and the van won't start. And so they missed the showcase. Pretty crazy. And so Doug's big goal in life was to have a gold record. And so he got his gold record. And, of course, the Jim Blossoms and A&M Records and management had basically swindled Doug Hopkins out of uh, his royalties. They owed him about 15000 bucks. I think that's right, $15,000, $20,000. And they withheld that until he agreed to sign his future royalties over to his replacement in the band. And so it's like these guys are making all this money on his misery and his emotions and now he's not going to share in the profits. And that's what kind of put him off the deep end. And I understand shortly after he got his gold record, he destroyed the gold record. Just completely destroyed it. It was his lifelong dream to have that as a songwriter. And he finally gets it. And he destroys it. And then he shoots himself. And uh, he had gone to rehab, tried to check in, and then uh, just kind of pulled out. And if you read Jesus of Suburbia, you'll get a lot of details kind of about his life and kind of about the end. And, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the, uh, the movie coming out, whether it be on Netflix or whatever. I, I really want to see it. Uh, I actually reached out to Doug Hopkins' sister a few years ago, found her on uh, social media, and uh, just kind of sent her letters about what Doug means to me and uh, you know, kind of the profound impact he had on my life because he made me realize that uh, happiness is not always promised. You know, it's like we can chase and find all these great things in life. And at the end of the day, it's like when you achieve it, well, you know, there you are. You know, it's like wherever you go, there you are. And so I sent her this nice message, and she was so kind enough to respond. And, and uh, I felt like I owed it to them you know, to let her know that all these years later that Doug Hopkins' music still matters. And I'm sure there are a lot of other fans that reach out and do that sort of stuff. But um, that's a Jim Blossoms list. I'll probably jam Jim Blossoms for a couple of days now. 
as soon as we hang up today, I'll probably put on Found Out About You. Uh, it's a crazy good song. If you don't know the Jim Blossoms, let me encourage you to listen to that. Uh, this is kind of post-college music for me, for sure. But uh, this was extremely popular on college radio. And then, of course, they exploded and, and crossed into the mainstream. And I often wonder, too, how Doug would have handled that aspect of it, too. You know, he was kind of a loner in the crowd. So there you go. Your Jim Blossoms top 10. If uh, you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. I'm happy to consider it. Uh, you can find all the Spotify lists uh, at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C. If you don't do Spotify, Izzy Mandelbaum, of course, is uh, taking these great lists and putting them on iTunes for you, on Apple Music. So wherever you get music, you can get our top 10 list. I tweet those out and share them on Facebook as well. Uh, maybe give those guys a follow, kind of save you a little guesswork later instead of having to go look for it. But, uh, again, happy to do this one. I've been thinking about this one for a while, about what the order would be. Wanted to go back and listen to some of the more recent albums, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, it's just not the same. It's not the same without Doug Hopkins, and it's sad and unfortunate that someone that talented is is no longer with us. So all the best to Doug Hopkins' uh, family and, and fans out there around the world. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. That's right, campusbookmart.net. Long-time sponsors of this show, man, but long-time contributors to the Mississippi State family. Great place to find your Mississippi State merchandise, whether you're in town or online. You can find exactly what you need at Campus Bookmart. Go by and see Stan and Man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, Candy, the whole crew there. We treat you like family because in their minds you are family. If you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, let me encourage you. Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we're going to save you a little cash. That's what we do, right? That's a the benefit of the show, the things you want, to get a little bit cheaper. Go to campusbookmart.net. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That's right. That's easy to remember. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. And, you know, when you're making those Christmas orders, it's kind of nice to have that free shipping. They're happy to do it for you. And they appreciate your support of the Boneyard. Outfit your family in the latest in maroon and white fashions at campusbookmart.net. Again, promo code BSR. Free shipping on all orders, over 50 bucks. And you order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's look at Alabama. And if we mention it's a great team, I mean, listen, nobody's saying they're not, right? I mean, we're saying they may be a little bit vulnerable. They're still an elite team. We're still going to have to go out there and play our best game of the year to win this game. It's that simple. Alabama scoring just over 44 points a game, doubling up their opponents, allowing just 22. Now, they've had some conference games on the road, been a lot more competitive than that. We're going to get to that a little bit later. 266 points scored this year, averaging 161.7 yards a game on the ground. That's pretty, that's pretty stout, right? Maybe not what they have been, though. Maybe not what they have been running but we've been pretty good against the run too we will put the game in the hands of your quarterback and hopefully make you a little one-dimensional allowing just over 109 yards per game on the ground not really our sort of thing right passing wise alabama been good averaging over 310 yards per game nearly 311 bryce young certainly living up to his preseason billing they're giving up 195 yards a game I suspect we'll do better than that. 
21 touchdowns through the air. They've allowed just nine. They're really good in the red zone, for sure. Offensively, 472 yards a game, but giving up over 300. That hadn't always been the case at Alabama. Uh, kick returns, they're pretty decent there, averaging 26.33, allowing 20.85, nearly 21. And so what that tells me is that on occasion, you get a chance to bring it out. Matter of fact, 13 times this year, opponents have attempted a kick return against the University of Alabama. So maybe that allows Tulu to get loose a little bit, maybe. And, and sometimes I think we only need one or two of those, right? If we could get one – Get us in plus field position. Because, you know, we all know what Tulu can do. We've seen it. It's weird. I mean, it's like you give the guy a chance, and the guy apparently can just – his vision of the field, his ability to see and set up blocks, is just unlike what the average player is. That's a real weapon for us. Punt returns, they're averaging just over 10 yards per return and allowing just over five, nearly six. It's pretty crazy to think about that, too. All right, looking at the um, penalties, and that's been a real issue for Alabama this year. And that's the thing that I think probably keeps Nick Saban up at night. 75 yards a game in penalties. They've been flagged 48 times this year. The opponent's just 39. That's a lot of penalties, you know, for an elite program. So that's something to watch, too. They will give you a first down every now and again. Time of possession, kind of a meaningless stat these days. 32.57 per game for them. Been really good on third down, 51%. 42 of 82 on third down. Fourth down conversion, 7 of 9. So on possession plays, Alabama more times than not is going to convert. And a lot of that's a product of the running game. That gets you in a third and short they get behind that big offensive line, and they've got, listen, they got great running backs. They always do. They're Alabama, right? Third down conversions against. They're, they're holding opponents to 33.7%. You say, well, Steve, that, that, that sounds pretty good. And in many respects that it is. But here's the thing. Mississippi State, 13th in the country in defensive third down percentage. Alabama, just to put that in perspective, 42nd. 42nd. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty good on third down. We're elite on third down. Thought you'd find that kind of interesting today as we kind of work through this. So, some interesting numbers to kind of look at here for sure. You know, and, you know, looking at a couple other things, too, that I think are rather interesting, too, is, you know, we talk about third down, you know, on offense. You know, Alabama's 11th in the country. Ironically, do you know who's number one? I bet you don't. I didn't. It's Coastal Carolina. Nearly 59% on third down. That's winning football, especially in their league. Alabama actually uh, second in the SEC, third down conversions. Trails only Mizzou. But you weren't expecting to hear that. You were thinking it's probably going to be Georgia. They're 17th. Let's look at some uh, some other stuff here with uh, with Alabama, too. We talk about the penalties we, you know, penalties per game, that sort of stuff, you know. Uh, we've always kind of expect Alabama to kind of set the standard, and, and they do in many respects. Mississippi State, among the worst teams in the country, being penalized 124th. The last place team, 
Ole Miss 130, Alabama 113. So good chance you're going to see some handkerchiefs this weekend. So while they may give us some first downs, we'll cost ourselves some too. So we got to clean that up. We got to play clean. But it's rare to see Alabama in that kind of discussion, you know, as far as like committing penalties, that sort of stuff. It's just, you know, it's just not one of those things that are, you know, typical for a Nick Saban coach team. Those are things you look at and you begin to kind of ask yourself a little bit. Say, you know, what, what, what's happening in Alabama? And again, they're not what they have been. They're still very good. Passing offense this year, Mississippi State fifth in the country, 372 yards a game, and, and we should. That's kind of who we are, right? That's our identity now. Alabama not doing bad either. They're 17th in the country, just over 310 yards, as I mentioned earlier. So we're going to probably see a longer game because the clock's not going to be running quite as much. You know, we're going to be out there you know, probably for a while. So go ahead and kind of prepare for that. I'm excited about it. I know you guys are as well. But uh, you know, th- this, is, this is not, again, an unbeatable Alabama team. Let's look at some of the individual numbers. Brian Robinson has been really, really good for Alabama. I really like him a lot. Uh, the guy looks like a pro, sets up his blocks well, navigates between the tackles well. And that, that's one of the more difficult things for a young back because there's this temptation to bounce everything outside. Robinson is comfortable with the rigors of interior play. Averaging 105 yards per game. Averaging just five yards, 0.4 per carry, which, you know, two of those get you first down. But it's not a lot of big plays. And that's kind of the point I'm making. His long run this year is just 24 yards, six touchdowns. But he is just so efficient that his numbers are not propped up by big plays. This is a guy that just consistently falls forward. Just, you know, 97 carries this year, and he's only lost 11 yards. So this is a guy that's going to typically fall forward. Another well-coached, very talented back. But he's the guy. You know, he's the guy. They got some other guys that kind of do by committee, committee to try to give him a little bit of, uh, of, of rest. But B-Rob, as they call him, number four, he is the straw that stirs the drink in the running game. Uh, Bryce Young played in all six games, started all six. 136 of 196, thrown just three interceptions, which is more than Will Rogers. But he's right at 70%, 69.39%. Now, of course, Will Rogers ahead of him in that thing, too. 1,734 yards, 20 touchdowns, a long of 94, averaging 289 yards a game. Bryce Young, not he's a great athlete, but he's not a true dual-threat type guy. You know, he's not a guy that's really going to tuck it and go very often. Now, he will, like on possession plays. I mean, if you give him the opportunity to run and things break down, he is a guy that can make you pay. But he's not a guy that's going to take it, you know, 50, 60 yards. He'll get the first down, get out of bounds. And there's really not a lot of depth behind him. I think it's kind of important to understand that, too. You know, it's like this is a guy, too. I mean, there's just not much experience behind him. There's not a lot of depth behind him. And yeah, Alabama goes out and signs big quarterbacks every year. But the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, he, this is their guy. Much like Will Rogers is our guy, right? Bryce Young's throwing mechanics are a little different. The ball sometimes comes out nose down. And as a result, especially on like, you know, slants and things like that, you can watch him at times throw the ball into the ground. Instead of throwing it, you know, with good ball placement where his receiver can catch it. A lot of times the receivers have to kind of bail him out and go down, put their hands underneath it, and make a difficult catch. That's something in time that I'm sure they'll, they'll kind of figure out. Bill O'Brien and those guys will correct. But uh, 
you will see that a lot with him. The ball comes out of his hand a little different. Now, the deeper throws, he's great at those. But the underneath stuff, sometimes I don't know if he's just trying to muscle it up too much and mechanics break down a little bit, but you'll notice that when you watch Alabama. Receiving Jamison Williams, really like him a lot. He seems to be kind of that next guy for them. He's the one that caught the touchdown last week when uh, Alabama wasn't set and A&M didn't have anybody out there to cover him. On that big touchdown late, Jamison Williams also had the two-point conversion. Uh, 27 grabs this year for 510 yards. He is a big play receiver. Does have a 94-yard touchdown to his credit. Five touchdowns on the year, averaging 85 a game. John Mechie is a guy that I have always liked. Now, last year he was a guy at times that kind of struggled with drops. He was a guy, too, that was probably second or third receiver on the team. He's basically the one now. He appears to be their primary option, and it seems like he's always open. It kind of drives you crazy. It's like, is it really that kid again? Yeah, it's that, it's John Mechie again. Just another guy that has developed and kind of bought into what they're doing at Alabama and is beginning to yield the benefits from it. The leading pass catcher, 34 grabs on a year, 363 yards, not a lot of ton of run after the catch. Just averaging 60.5 yards per game and along a 41. So you begin to back that out, and that puts him right at 320. So it's 33 grabs for 320. So he's right there around you know, 10, 11 yards you know, per reception. So, But he is more than just a possession receiver. Slade Bolden is a guy, too, that I think they're kind of waiting for him to take off. Had some big catches last year. Had some big catches against us. Just 15 grabs this year. 15, just to one touchdown. JoJo Earl is a guy that I know they're expecting some big things from as well. He had a couple of good catches against Ole Miss, too. Just 12 grabs on a year. But it's pretty well distributed. You know, you've got seven, eight guys with double-digit uh, receptions. But Williams and Mechie are the guys. Those are the guys you're really going to have to pay special attention to. Those are the guys that, you know, when they need a play, that's who they're going to dial. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out, so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, 
it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. There's, I don't think there's any question about that. All right, let's look at some defensive numbers here. You always expect Alabama to be elite defensively. I mean, you know, it's just kind of their calling card, right? I mean, what we have known, by and large, you know, through our years, is that Alabama is going to run the football. They're going to stop the run. They're going to play big, physical brand of football, and they're going to you know, do their best to kind of shut you down, swallow you up. This Alabama defense is really good, but it's not what it has been. And I've said that several times today. So just to kind of put in perspective here, Alabama has given up 300.7 yards per game, which is good for 16th nationally. And we talk about, you know, Alabama and Georgia may be the best two teams. Let this stat kind of marinate with you for a second. Georgia leads the nation, total defense, 201 yards. So we're talking nearly 100 yards difference between Alabama and Georgia. That's a pretty expansive gap. Pretty crazy to think about that, really. Especially with Alabama being in the top 20 in defense. You know, those are things you look at and you kind of say, you know what, maybe we can score a little bit. Now, to, to let you know, too, well, Steve, where are we? We're 29th, allowing 318 yards. So, you know, we're right there. And a lot of people question at the beginning of the year, will State have a top 25 defense? I think the answer to that question is, yeah, I, I really do. I think once we get through this week, I think we'll have a lot better perspective on that. But here's the deal. I don't really care about the stats, even though they're kind of a precursor to kind of predicting games, that sort of stuff. I just want to go win the ball games. You know what I'm saying? You know, and, and it'd be nice to shut people out and kind of slow them down. You kind of exert your will a little bit. But I'd rather be, you know, eight and four and be 40th in defense than be 10th in defense and be five and seven. And I know you all feel the same way. But I think it's interesting just to kind of look at the numbers and kind of compare and kind of see where we are and how we're doing. Looking at these defensive numbers too, it's like you know Kentucky, right there at number 18. Probably not a big surprise because Stoops is a defensive-minded coach. But uh, they may be better than we expect. They're better than I expected, I'll admit that. Florida right there with Mississippi State, uh, 28th in the country, right at 316, 317 yards uh, per game. Auburn right there at uh, 32. Arkansas there at 39. Tennessee at 45. Listen, you want another difference in that Tennessee Ole Miss game this weekend? It's going to be defense. Because Tennessee's better on defense than Ole Miss is. Let's go ahead and get ready for that. Go ahead and preview that for you. I'm picking Tennessee to win that game. A&M, 53rd in the country in total defense. Ah, let me see here. LSU, 73rd. Man, big news out of Baton Rouge. Eli Ricks starting corner out for the year. So, Stingley down. They lose a safety. And now Ricks 
and they've lost one of their best edge rushers. I mean, the losses just continue to mount for that LSU defense. We really need them to beat some people that help us in bowl position. We got to take care of ourselves, but it'd be nice if we could get a little help and LSU could upset somebody or two along the way. Uh, total defense, Ole Miss number 100. 100. There's 130 Division One teams. But believe it or not, there are some teams that are worse than Ole Miss. That's right. Vanderbilt, 114th. In case you're wondering, too, just for a little trivia question for you, Texas, 106th. How about that? Texas. Goodness gracious. Memphis, 116. Still smart, so we lost that ball game. Your last place defense in the country, Arkansas State, 130, allowing 584 yards per game. That's right. 584. The worst in the SEC, Mizzou at 128. And we see it every week. Every time we preview the games, I say, hey, man, Missouri's got a shot to win. And then the defense goes and lays an egg. All right, let's get back to some of these defensive numbers for Alabama. I chased that rabbit trail long enough. I look at these numbers sometimes. It's interesting to me. All right, Henry Toa Toa uh, leading the Crimson Tide with 41 tackles. That's a former Tennessee linebacker to transfer. And a lot of people said there's no chance the SEC is going to allow interconference transfers without sitting a year. And then everybody else in the Power Five did. And if the SEC didn't follow suit, basically it would lead to SEC players leaving the league and playing immediately at other conferences. And so you simply couldn't do that. So they went along. One of the rare things where the SEC kind of played follow the leader there. Uh, Anderson, Anderson Jr., 39 tackles, number 31 for them, 11 TFLs. That's a big number right there. Even though we're only six games into the season, that leads the uh, Alabama team. They got 42 tackles for loss as a defense. They've allowed 36. Not a big disparity there between what's happening, which maybe that means some offensive line play. Maybe it means the South Alabama defensive front's not as good as it has been. Christian Harris, 31 total tackles, also five tackles for loss. They got some dudes. They always do. Byron Young from West Jones High School. You're familiar with Byron. Played in all six games. Uh, got 17 tackles on the year, five and a half TFLs. Got a sack and a quarterback hurry. So, yeah, he's played. He's in a rotation there. Guy's going to be a pro someday for sure. Interceptions, uh, DeMarco Hellums leads the team with six picks. Excuse me with two picks in six games played. Also has 37 tackles. Pretty good numbers there. Uh, Jaywin uh, Armour Davis has uh, three pass breakups to lead the team, also with a pick to his credit. Jaywin Moody uh, has an interception. Kool-Aid, that's right. That's what everybody calls him, Kool-Aid. A lot of people said that he was going to end up at LSU. They were wrong. He's at Alabama playing well. Now, Malachi Moore was ejected last week in the first quarter for targeting. He will be available. A lot of people wondered about that and say, hey, Steve, any of those targeting guys going to be back? I only remember one. And the way that thing works is you only have to sit out the half. Now, of course, if it occurs in the second half, you miss the first half of the next game. But, uh, but yeah, so they'll, they'll be full strength. There's, there's not any question about that. But um, this is a team, too, that uh, they want to get after the quarterback. But the pass rush has not been what it has been. Would you believe that Alabama's opponents have sacked them more than Alabama has sacked that, the, the opponent? Alabama, 13 sacks on the year. Their opponents, 14. When's the last time you saw that happen? So, Federian Mathis, who is a monster, 22 tackles, three and a half sacks to lead the team. Uh, and so, outside of Mathis and Anderson, nobody has more than one sack. And so that's been something they have talked about. The media has asked, Saban, about what do you got to do to generate more pass rush? You know, 
So those are things that they're talking about over there. Nick Saban did not have a lot to say about Mississippi State earlier in the week. I actually transcribed that press conference. And uh, one of the questions I guess Cecil heard it asked was about, you know, pass rush. You know, it's like when you're chasing a quarterback, the wear and tear it takes on a defensive line over the course of the ball game. And, and Saban admits you know, you're exerting a lot more energy, you know, when you're chasing a quarterback rather than playing against a run. Those plays take longer. It uh, requires more of a physical fitness commitment. So those are the things, hopefully, if we get into the fourth quarter, that maybe we're the ones that win that battle in that respect. We can keep Will Rogers upright. I think we've got a good chance uh, to keep this game competitive, maybe even win the ball game. We need Alabama to help us a little bit, though. I mean, let's be, be honest. Yeah, we'd all love to beat Alabama. We haven't beat them since 07. Kind of tired of wearing that, you know. And so, yeah, we, we can beat them. We're at home. And I think that's the key in many respects. Number one, we're a better football team. And number two, I think in some respects, they have kind of come back a little closer to the pack. That's not to say they won't be in the playoff. That they, they may win out, you know. And then we could see Alabama and Georgia play twice this year. I don't think Alabama's on Georgia's level. Not yet. But here's, here's what they've done so far this year. They beat an overrated Miami team 44-13 to in week one. They beat Mercer 48-14, and it was a bit of a tussle in the first half. Then they go on the road. Of course, Miami was in Atlanta, but, a, you know, a true road environment. The first time they go to Florida, jump all over Florida, take their foot off the gas, and Mullen and company had a chance for a two-point conversion to tie it late and couldn't get it done. But Alabama wins 31-29. They beat up Southern Miss 63-14. They jump all over Ole Miss and led by 35-nothing in the third quarter and then cruise to a 42-21 win at home. And then they go on the road here, and then they lose by three to A&M. Now, that, that win's obviously been well-documented, you know, since then. But, you know, here, they've had two true road games that have been decided by a total of five points. The 31-29 win at Alabama and the 41-38 loss at A&M. So – I don't know, you know, the pathology behind those games, but the one thing it looks at is well, road games. These are road games. So that's where you come in. If you are on the fence about coming to this game, come to the game. Come to the game. I know a lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, I want to see us win. Yeah, I do too. I want to see us win too. But I think you could be a factor in this ball game. If you looked at what happened at Kyle Field last weekend – and again, Alabama didn't quit. But late in that ball game, when AM needed a lift, the 12th man gave it to them. They did. They were great. I was there two weeks ago. It was the best atmosphere I'd ever experienced at Kyle Field in three trips. It was outstanding. And so, if that is what bothers Alabama a little bit, then we need you to do your part. We need you to get in the car, bring your cowbells, and yell like H-E-L-L and help this team because it, we need every advantage we can get. We're not as talented as them. You could argue maybe we're not as well coached as them. You know, Saban and them have kind of built the football factory over there, and so you get these, uh, these well-oiled machines running off the line up there. And so to kind of, you know, bridge that gap a little bit, we need you. Need you to come to the ball game. 
Come be a part of this. There are tickets still available through the Mississippi State Ticket Office. A lot of people want to get into Facebook groups and that kind of stuff and get on StubHub. Check the State Ticket Office first. Before you go spend some money and, and run the risk of overpaying for tickets, you can buy them at face value through the Mississippi State Ticket Office. Now, it may not be the sections that you want, and then you may have to depend on a third-party ticket vendor for that. But always check the Mississippi State Ticket Office first to get guaranteed tickets for sure, right? And also, too, to pay face value. You know, we had a situation in Omaha where we went through StubHub uh, to get my oldest son and his wife and uh, my granddaughter tickets to Omaha. So they're guaranteed, right? Well, they get to the gate and there's some kind of problem because you know somebody sent the tickets incorrectly. And so, yeah, they're sitting there at the gate at Omaha, couldn't get in. So they gave them their money back, which is great, but it's not sufficient. It's just part of the most things that happens in life. Now, they made the rest of the weekend okay. They're able to attend the finals and watch Mississippi State win an AFL championship. And, of course, they missed the Vanderbilt win. And if you had to miss one of those three games, that's the one you want to miss. But so I say that to say, well, you know, Steve, the tickets from StubHub and people like that are guaranteed. Yes, they are. But they're not guaranteed to get you in the building if there's a problem. But if you buy a ticket to the Mississippi State ticket office and you have a problem, you can go right there to the ticket window. And Mike Ritchie and his staff will take care of you. You buy it through a third-party vendor, you're on your own. And so, again, whenever possible, buy it through the Mississippi State ticket office. And that's not just me, you know, sitting here shilling for Mississippi State. That's me trying to help protect my fellow Bulldog fans. I don't want you to be inconvenienced. Just get your tickets and be able to roll. I think it's important to kind of understand that. There's sometimes convenience you know, that we pay for a little convenience and it leads to some inconvenience. If you drove all that way to a ball game and couldn't get in the gate and they say, okay, well, we'll just give you your money back. Well, what about the money for my gas and the meals and my time, my aggravation, and the fact that I got to go find some water and hole to watch a ball game that I cared enough about to get in the car for? You're not going to get that money back. So just be smart about this. Be smart. It's important to kind of understand how all that works. Life is difficult sometimes. And sometimes it's more difficult than it has to be. So don't, don't give yourself any unnecessary inconvenience when you could just get tickets to the Health State Ticket Office. Absolutely the best way to go. Anytime that I get ready to buy tickets from anybody, I don't immediately go get on StubHub. I, first thing I do is go to the venue directly to save myself some money and be sure that if it's a problem, I can get it handled on site when I get there. Right? Now, a couple of things I think it's important to know. I want to, I want to revisit this because it's been a while since we've had a home game. Right? And we kind of get out of the habit. Please have your tickets already pulled up when you get in line to be scanned. Right? Let's not wait till we get there. And so, again, it's been a while. So we want the line to move. And they're doing a pretty good job. I think all things considered, I expected more delays. It's been pretty good. Now, if we wait till 10 minutes before the game, we're going to wait out in the junction as long as we possibly can there's not an express lane, okay? There's not, this is not. Oh, well, let me, I'm Jim. Let me just, I, I, this is Jim's line. No, no, you're going to go through everybody else. And it's like, oh my gosh, I want to get in the game. Well, you, give yourself a little time to avoid the bottleneck, right? Take some personal responsibility here. It'll be okay. But have your tickets ready to be scanned when you go through. Go ahead and get that ready so it doesn't slow things down. There's a lot of things that are on that list, of impermissible items, go ahead and check that at Hell State. 
Blueblitz.com forward slash game day. Blueblitz, correct? And you can see those banned items. And you don't have to worry about bringing those things and having to go back to the car, right? Cowbells are allowed. Now, there have been some more of the stadium seats installed. If you are one of those people that will get your new stadium seat, uh, the British ball game, you should have already gotten an email or you should get one shortly. If you haven't gotten the email, then your stadium seat hadn't been installed. So it's important to kind of understand that, too. We don't want you to have to lug all your, your old seats up there. Like if you're bringing your own thing and you get there and you're like, oh, I wish I'd known. I wouldn't have killed myself dragging this thing up here. Well, if you're notified by email, you won't have to deal with that, right? Another thing, too, because we do expect near-capacity crowd this weekend, do some pre-planning when it comes to parking. Because every time there's going to be a lot of people that are coming to the ball game, and maybe it's their first game. Maybe it's their first game in a long time. Maybe their parking lot has changed. Those event management group people that do a great job for us, they do. They don't know where you need to park. And so when you stop, they're going to have to get on a radio and say, hey, where is lot so-and-so? And there are some people that are veterans have been around a long time. They'll know. But by and large, those people don't know. And it's not because they're incompetent. It's just, hey, this is my job here i got to sit here and watch this deal and uh, check the passes and let the people in that have, you know, lot C or whatever. And that's the end of my job. I'm, my job is not to direct traffic. And so, again, let's take a little personal accountability. Know where you got to be. Leave early. Leave early. Protect yourself. Protect the people in your car with you. Because if you're like me, I hate sitting still, whether it be at a restaurant, whether it be in a line, whether it be in the car. I'm an impatient person. I am. I like to get out and make things happen. But it infuriates me when I have to sit and sit and sit and sit. And so I don't want to be that guy that's holding up a line for you guys. So let's do a little advanced scouting. Double check where you're supposed to park. And for many of you, like, hey, Steve, I'm here all the time. I'm good. Thank you. Appreciate that. But there are many other people that are listening to this and say, you know what? I don't get to go to a game very often. I got some tickets. A friend of mine got tickets or whatever. So where do I park? Well, you can go to healthstate.com and look for that. Just tell you where the parking lots are. Have a pretty good idea where to go. And listen, there are places on university you can park and pay cash and just kind of walk into the campus. And I would encourage you to do that. If you're a person that doesn't have a parking pass or you're not sure where to go, get on university. And right before you get to campus, there are some grass lots there you'll pay. And, of course, you're going to pay a little bit more, but you're right there by campus. You don't have to worry about that. That's a little traveling tip for you, too. And again, I don't want to come across as being real preachy. I'm just trying to help. There are a lot of people out here that you know, are not season ticket holders that aren't here every weekend that we have a sporting event. I think it's important that we all just kind of understand that we're all in this thing together. I'd love for everybody to be season ticket holders, but I know it's not practical. And so I want everybody to have a good time. I want you to have a good time. I want our single-serving ticket holder to have a great time too because we hope eventually they'll become season ticket holders too. Come have a great experience with your family and hopefully see a historic win this week. We hope to. I'm not expecting it, but we hope to. Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, Portico is where I would move. Absolutely would. I, I love the place I'm in now, but I'm out here in the sticks. You know, I'm a few miles from town. It would be kind of cool to be right there by campus, 1.1 miles from campus. That's how close it is. You could run to campus. If you're a jogger, I guess we just call them runners now, if you're a runner, you can go do your, your, your evening runs, your training runs on the Mississippi State campus. How cool is that? You don't even have to drive. Just run the campus. 
Have a great time. Run around the beautiful expanses of the Mississippi State University campus. Really cool thing. Go out there to Chadwick Lake, run a couple laps. It's on the best side of town anyway, right? It's important to understand that too. Now, if you were thinking of moving to Portico now, you're out of luck. You're not going to be able to get in right now because every house in phase one has been purchased. And how wonderful is that? Phase two, construction's about to get going. Three lots in phase two have already been purchased, and those folks have uh, picked out a floor plan. And that's the best thing about it, too. Many of you have always dreamed of having a new home. You're like, I'd like to have something new that hadn't been lived in. It's brand new to us. It's unique to us. Well, you give our friend Brooks Bryan a call, you buy your lot, and then you can go ahead and pick the floor plan for your home prior to construction, right? How many times have you, you go out and you buy a house and you think, yeah, I love the house, but... Well, see, that's the thing. If you're involved in that construction process, there's not going to be any buts. You're going to kind of understand, that, hey, this is exactly what we want. We got what we wanted. That's a really cool thing. It's a great position to be in. So let me encourage you to do this. Give my friend, your friend, Mississippi State friend, Brooks Bryan, a call. Give him a call. Let him know what's going on with you. And so, and, and maybe, maybe we're not ready to buy today, but say we just want to gather some information He's happy to provide that for you, too. Brooks, a great guy. 601-416-8075. That's right, 601-416-8075. Give them a call today. If you lose a number, you can message me on social media, and a couple people have, and I'll give you the number, and you can get some information. And maybe you're just kind of in the fact-finding phase right now anyway. Maybe we're just kind of thinking about moving Give Portico your first opportunity. And, you know, that's the thing, too. You don't necessarily have to go through a real estate agent to kind of get your questions answered. Brooks is a bulldog, a former diamond dog. Cares about Mississippi State. Part of a great group that has brought this great residential development to Starkville. Again, right off campus, you turn off 82 on a 12. It's the very first right. That's how close it is. It's great. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's talk a little bit about – we did some uh, – I talked about some Alabama stuff the last time we played and that sort of stuff and kind of how things shake out for us and, and ball games we played. And I, I want to talk about another great win in Mississippi State history with Alabama. All right, let's talk about the 1957 Mississippi State Bulldogs. It's going back a few years, right? I recently interviewed Charlie Weatherly, who is a gem. Oh, my gosh, Charles Weatherly is such a gift to Mississippi State. Wonderful man, recently inducted into the M State Club Hall of Fame. I love talking to Charlie. I've had a chance to go and visit with uh, him and his group a couple times and speak. And uh, he always makes me feel like a bigger deal than I am because that's who he is. That's the kind of person that he is. And so uh, Charlie was on that team. Your quarterback, Billy Stacy, future NFL player there. Tom Miller, Gil Peterson, uh, Bubba Trammell, Molly Halbert. You've heard that name a few times. Molly Halbert uh, was our leading – Leading rusher that year, 76 carries for 386 yards. Willie Daniel also went to the National Football League. Willie Morgan, Bill Schoenrock, James Barnett, uh, Jack Batay, Robert Collins, William Olmerg, and, of course, Charlie Weatherly. Uh, Ned Brooks, P.O. Blake, John Benji. I'm, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Or Benj, maybe. I'm sorry if it's wrong. Kelly Clark, Lavelle White, Jack Benson, Jimmy Dodd, Willie Drayton, Sam Lathan, Bobby Triple, and J.E. Logan. Those guys were part of that 1957 team. But what's interesting, too, about that team, we had had some lean years. We really had. We had had some tough years. But things were kind of turning around for us. 
It's interesting to too, you know, we were in the middle of that marred and that awful losing streak to Ole Miss. But nineteen fifty seven, Wade Walker was a coach. You know, Darrell Royal had been it was his predecessor and had put together back to back six and four years. But Wade Walker comes along, kind of picks up where he left off. And to give you a little history on Wade Walker too, you know, a lot of people don't know a whole lot about him. But uh came from the University of Oklahoma. Uh, was our coach for six years, also was an AD. Began his coaching career at NC State as an assistant, was an assistant at Texas Tech, then came to Mississippi State to coach the offensive line, and then was promoted to be the head coach in 1956. After his coaching days were uh, were done, he became the AD while he was still coaching. He gave up coaching to stay on as the AD, and then left and uh, returned to Oklahoma uh, to be the athletic director there. And so... There's a quote attributed to him that's rather interesting. I had the reputation of being the laziest man of all of our calisthenics drills, but I was chain lightning compared to him. Uh, so you get warm enough out here anyhow. So he wasn't real big on that sort of stuff. But, uh, but that 1957 team, again, kind of looking back at you know, what, what we had kind of leading into that, you know, the six and four years with Darrell Royal before he left and, of course, uh, went on to fame there at Texas. 1956, we were four and six on the year. In 57, though, we put together a pretty good campaign. Six, two, and one. And kind of looking at some things, too, you know, here in the SEC that year. Uh, it was a little different time, right? But Mississippi State finished third in the SEC that year. Auburn wins the conference. Ole Miss is second. State is third. Florida is fourth. Tennessee is fifth. And so our final record, of course, 6-2-1. and one. Now, Tennessee was 8-3 and three that year, but 4-3 and three in the conference. You know, I don't know why we played uh, just the nine games. Some other teams uh, obviously played more. But one of the reasons we played less games is um, we didn't get to go to bowl game that year, which I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit more. But um, what's interesting about this particular season, let me run the numbers down for you here. So – we play Memphis State. Remember I told you guys Memphis used to be a really good team. Back in the 50s, not so much. But we found a way to win that game, kick the late field goal to put it away, to beat Memphis 10-6 to at Scott Field. We go on the road and lose at Tennessee 14-9. It's a really competitive game, to say the least. Then we route Arkansas State 47-13. We go down to Gainesville in the swamp. It was called Florida Field back then. Beat those guys 29-20. We head over to Tuscaloosa. And we beat them 25-13. to 13. Now, here's the thing about that Alabama team. They were not good. I mean, they were absolutely not good. Uh, just looking at some numbers for, for those guys, it's pretty crazy to look. You know, it's like we, we, we're so used to Alabama kind of rolling over everybody, right? That's what we're used to. We've kind of grown accustomed to that. So, Alabama that year won two games. They went 2-7-1. and one. They, won, they beat Georgia at their place, and Georgia was 3-7 and seven on the year, and they beat Southern Miss. That's their only two wins. They had a tie to Vanderbilt early in the year. That's it. They were dreadful. And we went over there and beat them at their place and beat them pretty good. I think it's pretty safe to say. 25-13 in front of 28,000 people. The next week, we drilled Tulane 27-6 in Jackson. I know we wanted to play in Jackson back then, but uh, I don't know why you play the Tulane game there. Less people attended that one than they did the game in in Starkville. Um, And then we go to Auburn. And, again, Auburn really good that year. We lose 15-7. to seven. And we actually played them at Legion Field in Birmingham. 
What's weird, too, to think about back in the 50s, a lot of people don't know this. Like Alabama would play in Tuscaloosa, in Birmingham, and Mobile. They kind of moved their home games around to make it easier. Could you imagine having to pick three spots and deal with that crap? All right, so then we go to LSU. We beat them at their place 14-6. to And then we tied with Ole Miss, which I think in many respects cost us a lot. We tie 7-7. Both teams are ranked in the top 15 at the time of the ballgame. Ole Miss was number seven. We were 13. Or maybe, we, yeah, they were seven. We were 13. And uh didn't work out good for us. It's like, you know, Mississippi State did not have the political clout back in those days that we do today. You say, well, Steve, I didn't realize we had any. Yeah, we do now. Wasn't always like that. Mississippi State was still, in many respects, kind of considered secondary. It was Ole Miss because the most of the state legislature was educated at University of Mississippi. And so there was a lot of self-preservation involved in all that. There wasn't a lot of people going to step up and guarantee ticket sales for us to go to a bowl game. They would for Ole Miss. And not that they had to do it a lot because, you know, all these state legislators and people like that wanted to go watch their team play. And so the Maroons, despite the fact that we finished third in the SEC that year, we didn't go to a ball game. Now, looking at the ball games for that year, there were only seven back then. It's not like it is today where if you win six ball games, you're almost guaranteed of an opportunity to play in the postseason. There were seven ball games. The Cotton Bowl, which had Navy and Rice. The Orange Bowl had Oklahoma and Duke. The Rose Bowl had Ohio State and Oregon, and, and, you know, there was some conference affiliations with that. Ole Miss played in the Sugar Bowl and just destroyed Texas. The Sun Bowl had Louisville and Drake. You mean to tell me we couldn't get in there over Drake? The Tangerine Bowl had Texas A&M Commerce and Southern Miss. And the Gator Bowl had Tennessee and A&M. It's, I mean, it's crazy you think about that, right? You know, how does that happen? How does that happen? How do we get left out? Now, you can understand Oregon a little bit. You can't so much understand Louisville and Drake. And so Mississippi State doesn't play in a ball game, but we finished the year ranked 14th in the Associated Press poll for the first time since 1942. That's under Alan McKean, right? So we had finally achieved a little bit of notoriety on the field, but we did not have the political clout that a lot of other schools did. And some would say, well, we didn't travel well and that sort of stuff. And the bottom line is bowl games back then were not about achievement. They were about economics. And as a result, Mississippi State kind of got passed over. We had not been to a bowl game since 1940. You don't think there was some pent-up demand among our fans and our students to say, you know what, I'll go to a bowl game. Just give me an opportunity. Well, we were denied that opportunity again until 1963. We talked about that on the show before. And we beat NC State. We talked about that NC State week. You know, but here's the thing, too, is we didn't help ourselves because we were not a consistent winner. And so it's like there's a part of me that says, hey, well, this doesn't happen very often for Mississippi State. There's a chance they're going to buy a bunch of tickets. But also, too, you don't really cultivate a lot of, you know, fervor within the fan base when you don't win very often. So it's like, oh, you know, okay, well, sure. So we didn't have a huge fan base. We had our, our students that were rabid, but we didn't have a lot of, you know, by and large, you know, uh, sidewalk alums. And you begin to look, and here's what happens after that 14th ranked season in the AP poll, which was great by our standards. 6-2-1 and one was a great year. We go 4-2-1 and one in the SEC. That dead gum lost to Ole Miss. It's crazy. I guess it could have been us in the Sugar Bowl, right, if we won that ball game. Wade Walker then goes 3-6, and 2-7, and 2-6, and, and, and then finally his final season, 5-5, five and five, 
and he gives up coaching to, to stay on as the AD. And then Paul Davis becomes the head coach, and uh, we begin to put some things together. But, again, these winning seasons kind of few and far between. 63, the only winning season under Paul Davis. He never won more than four games outside of that year. Charlie Shower takes over, and we really kind of bottomed out in the early years of the Charlie Shower years. Charlie has just one winning season, and that's in 1970, a 6-5 season. And begin to think about that. I mean, it's like you have back-to-back coaches that combine for one winning season apiece over a decade. Think about that, two winning seasons in a decade. We lived through that, you know, through the, uh, the 2000s for a while, right? And even then, we had two bowl games, 2000 and 2007. Uh, Bob Tyler comes in and really changes things, really changes things. And Bob recently, of course, inducted into the M-State uh, Hall of Fame. Very grateful to coach uh, Bob Tyler. But that's when things began to change for us. But I wanted to kind of pay tribute to those Bulldogs uh, of the 1950s because that team that went over there and beat Alabama, we hadn't beat Alabama very often. But that team that beat Alabama – was a really good Mississippi State football team. And obviously they did not get the credit for what they richly deserved. They didn't get the bowl game. They did get a final ranking, and I guess it's one of those things we kind of have to kind of reconcile ourselves with. Uh, but the fact that some teams that we played, and to our own, you know, to be fair, you know, we lost to Tennessee and tied Ole Miss. So in many respects, I guess we kind of controlled our own destiny. But uh, you begin to look at some of this stuff too, and you kind of scratch your head about it. But – it just kind of goes to show you how far we've come. That a team ranked 14th in the country did not get invited to a bowl game despite finishing third in one of the best football conferences in America. And I want to thank Charlie Weatherly and all those guys that did such a great job to represent Mississippi State when we weren't getting a lot of respect. And uh, it's a different day and time today. But uh, thank you for your contributions, Charlie. I love you to death and, uh, and all of your teammates and all the great things that you guys have done uh, to help Mississippi State Athletics. And, of course, Charlie has stayed on for years and years and years and worked with the Bulldog Club and the Foundation, the Alumni Association. Just anywhere that there has been a need at Mississippi State, Charlie Weatherly has been true maroon. So, Charlie, thank you and all of your teammates for your contributions to Mississippi State Athletics. All right, we're going to get out of here. Longer show today. More to talk about, obviously. But I think it's important, too, that we always recognize our Bulldog greats uh, before they're gone. And uh, that's one of the things I love about doing the M-Club stuff and being able to help out with Joe Ayup and that group, too, because what they're doing to honor our Mississippi State athletes are, are – those causes are very noble. And, uh, you know, we're probably behind a little bit. You know, we just started doing the gala a few years ago, and I hope that we can make that a bigger event. You know, we'll, we'll kind of get caught up a little bit here. But, uh, you know, and I've read some things, too, here as of late. You know, people think, well, you know, what's the criteria? Anybody can nominate a player for consideration to be inducted into the M-State Club Hall of Fame. You can go to the website, say M-State Club Hall of Fame, and you can find it, and you can nominate a player. And then the membership votes on it. We don't get to vote, and it should be that way. There is a fraternity among the players that have worn the maroon and white pay their dues, they should be the ones to decide that. It shouldn't be just a popularity contest. They should do it. And, and I think there's no better uh, people uh, to handle that aspect of honoring our former players. Because there are players that many of you may not have known just because of the fact they didn't make a lot of headlines that could have been great players for us that are worthy of recognition. All right, well, that's going to do it for today. Thank you guys so much, man, for your support of the Boneyard. And so many of you have already went out and bought books. Thank you for doing that. You can go to dogpiledthebook.com today and pre-order a copy of Dogpile. It'll be signed. If you want it personalized, you have to put it in the notes. Don't message me. Put it in the notes because I won't see your message 
on the signing day. And while you're there, you can get signed copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. If you're looking at Blooms of Oleander, you can find it through your local bookstore or through Amazon.com, BooksandMillion.com, or BarnesandNoble.com. Four months, still on the bestseller list on Mississippi Reads list. Thank you very much for that. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and it seems like all the time people are messaging me, where do I find it? Very easy, StarkVillains.com. Get some hoodies and T-shirts today. Now, so many people said, hey, Steve, I've got a friend of mine. He loves a boneyard. Uh, I've been thinking, but do you have any Boneyard merch? Well, we had not done a Boneyard shirt in a while, but you can get a Stark Villains hoodie or Stark Villains tee. They'll be happy to have that. A lot of people think about that, and then like, oh, I'm going to get one of those. And then they see me like, dude, I forgot. Where did you get those? StarkVillains.com. Very, very easy. Listen, we're back on Friday. We'll preview the weekend. I hope it's a great week for you guys. and looking forward to you guys uh, being on campus. And, again, if you're thinking about making plans to come up, go ahead and make the call. Because we're going to need you and your cowbell here if we have any chance of beating Alabama. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.